You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down with the all-time leading scorer at the University of Detroit Mercy. Joining us on the podcast this week was the one and only Rashad Phillips, And if you know anything, and I mean anything about Detroit basketball, you know that this dude was a problem. There is a reason that the late, great Kobe Bryant once named Rashad as the best player that had not been drafted by the NBA. You'll learn about their relationship. You'll also learn about the amazing things that Rashad has done both in basketball and outside of basketball. In fact, my dude just launched a website, new website, where he talks about all of the NBA draft material. Check that out. The name of that website is called sportstalk2319.com. And on that same website, you'll have the opportunity to see the show that he has with NBA world champion Kendrick Perkins called No Agendas. This is a bucket list item for me on a personal level. I used to watch this dude at Callahan Hall in the city of Detroit. There is a reason why he was called Baby Iverson. If you aren't already on my mans, check his clips out on YouTube. If you aren't already on his website, check that out as well. I enjoyed this conversation. I love basketball. So it was an honor to have this individual on Detroit Worldwide. All of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the conversation that I had with the one and only Rashad Phillips. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. And joining us today is a very special guest. If you know about Detroit basketball, this person is synonymous with greatness. This person is synonymous with just hoops. If you know about the city of Detroit, joining us on the podcast today is Rashad Phillips, former University of Detroit Mercy basketball star, all-time leading scorer. He's doing some amazing things. I used to watch this guy growing up in the city. used to read about him in the paper and on a personal level, I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. Rashad, thank you for coming on here. What up, though? Hey, what up, though, man? I, I appreciate you having me. It's always a pleasure to be on your platform and uh, to be able to exchange dialogue with you. Thanks for having me. Most definitely. Rashad is going to be talking about all of the things that he has done, both in the past and things that he's working on currently. If you follow this dude on social media, you'll see that he is a basketball junkie. 
He'll talk about all the things that he's doing. And again, this is a bucket list item for me because if you know about Detroit hoops in the 90s and the early 2000s, one of the best players in the city, and I'm a basketball fan to the core. That's my number one love, watching basketball. So before we get started, I was wondering if you can tell our listening audience more about you and just some of the amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of I'm doing a little bit of everything. You know, obviously started my own media company, Sports Talk 2319. The 2319 comes from the points that I scored in college, and uh, so to me, it's a, it's a numerical representation of of overcoming, getting through, and facing adversity, and and, and being triumphant. I was you know fortunate enough to have a really good career and do that, and I started my own company, just trying to be a voice for kids out there that don't have a voice. So I've created a platform where I'm able to speak with no agenda in regards to just being transparent from my approach, but also helping kids and players that that don't uh, necessarily have a platform to express themselves. Yeah, man. And one thing that I find double about your background, which we'll get into in the duration of this conversation, that you give voices to the voiceless in so many words like your story which you'll be sharing i think it speaks to your character but i also think it speaks to what you represent and providing that platform which kind of is the segue to my next question so i know that you hooper <laughs> that's what you know that's what i know you as but what was your experience like growing up in the city of detroit my experience was i mean it was it was a great experience for me my, my parents did a terrific job of providing the proper resources and outlets for me to to really have a great childhood. I was able to grow into a great athlete over time. I was able to have great friends around me, go to good schools and, and just be surrounded overall by good people that, that helped nurture me to becoming a really good athlete. But I still have a little bit of nostalgia when I talk about my childhood, riding bikes, playing football in the street, Playing basketball in, in backyard, shooting on crates, dunking on crates. Like I, I, I come from that. And, and again, even though I live in Florida now, Detroit is always my home and, and the place that I'll always be proud to say that I'm from. For sure. Now, I know that you went to Ferndale High School. What area of the city did you grow up in? I'm an East Sider. I grew up on East State Fair, I-75 in that area. So born and raised there. I was there all the way until I went to college and graduated there and then moved on. But that's my neighborhood. So I'm an East Sider. I ran from I-75 all the way down to basically Dequender, 8 Mile and Dequender. So that's mm -hmm. that's kind of my stomping grounds, man. And uh, I still got friends there in that area as well. So just actually talking to you about it right now just makes me go back in time and when I do get to go back to Michigan, I, I always visit my old neighborhood mm -hmm. and see a lot of my old friends. So great, great area for me to grow up in. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have family who grew up a little bit of ways away uh, down there. But Belmont Shopping Center, the Quinder and A-Mile. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the Foot Locker was in there. Uh -huh, they, had, uh -huh. they had the furniture store. Like, I know. And then like Hazel Park is right across the street. They got the flea market. You know, like that's 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 my area. The, the McDonald's is right there. You know, so mm -hmm. that's my area. Like I could, I used to walk to the the Belmont Shopping Center 
when I was a kid. Like that was like an outing for us as kids. We used to ride bikes up there, all that stuff. So yeah, that's that's my that's my hood, man. Yeah, man. Like I said, my family wasn't too far from there, and when we go visit them, I'm a West Sider. Full disclosure. Hopefully, we don't have any beef or whatever. But no, so it's all the trade. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my family, when I visit them, one of our outings, we would go down to the Bel Air Shopping Center on A Mile, and was that Van Dyke? Van Dyke. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Toys R Us, Target, yep. Builder Square, Farmer oh, Jack. <laughs> It was a movie theater down there, too, at one yep. point in time. AMC, man. I remember going to see the first Ninja Turtles there when I was a kid in Batman. <laughs> so you're growing up in Detroit, and you being a hooper for as long as you have been, talk to me about your earliest Detroit sports memory. Man, just playing at 1300 Bobian when I was, mm-hmm. you know, eight, nine years old, you know, playing pal basketball. That was something that was always fun for me going downtown every Saturday morning to play games. And obviously, growing up in my father's gym in St. Rita's, those are the the first things that come to mind when I think about my sports upbringing, going to 1300 Bowie in downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. I played for the the Roll Runners, Jake Boyd and the Roll Runners. Mm -hmm. My teammates was Greg Grays and and David Weber. And Chris Weber used to always come to our games. He was big time back then. Mm-hmm. I still remember Chris Weber sitting in the crowd watching him play and and uh, growing up in my dad's gym as well. Just competing every three, four times a week, competing at the age of eight. It just became natural to me. So it's like those are the earliest memories that I have of, of my basketball upbringing. Okay. Now, I'm following you on social media. I know that you've been introducing your child to one of your first loves of mm-hmm. sports. Yeah. Talk about that first sport that you were introduced to. First sport I was actually introduced to was baseball. My dad is still a huge baseball guy. And he put a bat in my hand before he put a basketball in my hand, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he taught me how to swing a bat, how to hit it, how to how to hit the ball and catch it and and now I see myself doing that with my seven-year-old daughter. She really loves baseball. She's taking a liking to it. And um, just reliving the moments that my dad used to teach me, and now I'm teaching her. And she's really, really, really good at it, and it's something that she wants to do. So it's funny when you, you know, when I look in the mirror, I'm starting to see my father's reflections. And <laughs> just in regards to how he raised me, I'm, I'm taking some of those same things and I'm raising my two daughters with some of those same characteristics that my mom and my father instilled in me. And it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch when you're able to, you know, teach your, your kid a skill and then watch them nourish that over time and, and ultimately become successful in doing it. Yeah, and that's one thing I love, man. First of all, you as a, a father and a black father, to be exact. I mean, that's beautiful to see. I've yeah. uh, seen you and your daughter on social media, you pitching a ball to her and her just, yeah. you know, knocking it out the park pretty man, much. We're going to break the windows soon, but I think so. As soon as we knock one of the windows out, you know, I, I, I got my I got my money saved away just in case she does it. because She's hitting the ball harder and harder every day. Okay. 
Now you said Pops was really into baseball. Do you remember going to like any Tigers games, like in particular? So full disclosure, the Tigers won the World Series when I was born. The year that I was born is when they won the World Series. So I have no recollection other than when they went in 2006 and 2012, <laughs> both of which they did not win. But yeah. do you have like any recollections of going to Tigers games or even like going to the championship at all? Well, it's funny you ask that because I, I remember they won in the 80s, but my father had this picture in, in the basement of Lou Whitaker, which is one mm. of the greatest Detroit Tigers ever. And this picture hung in our basement for like 25 years. Like even when I was off to college, that picture was still in the basement when I was come home. Mm. So it was always funny, you know, as a kid, my dad would always kind of narrate that picture for me. Like that, that sweet Lou Whitaker, the shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. So I always wanted to be a shortstop because my dad was a huge Lou Whitaker guy and he actually made me read Ron LaFleur's book called mm. One in a Million. Ron LaFleur was a, a great Detroit Tiger that had some landmines and, and things in his way as, as a kid. He had a rough upbringing, but he was able to get through it. That's why his book was One in a Million and he became a Detroit Tiger. But uh, he overcame a lot of obstacles and I, my, I remember reading that book in like the fifth, sixth grade. So I've always been, you know, a baseball supporter. I'm not I'm not like a guy that watches every baseball game, mm-hmm. but I'm a huge baseball supporter because it's, it's kind of the foundation of where my sports career started. Yeah, for sure. And shout out to Pops for introducing you to that sport and just sports in general. Now, I want to take it to high school. You come out in 96. Ferndale High School. In that same year, I should say, you participated in the Magic Round Ball Classic. What do you most remember about that period? First of all, participating in that game and just that period itself. I remember, you know, it takes me back to sitting in the classroom in high school at Ferndale. And I remember when I found out that I was going to be a substitute, but they still hadn't guaranteed me the game. It was like... Rashad, you're going you gonna to play against the top high school basketball players in the country. And this is like, everybody was nervous for me. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. You know, it was just, it was funny to see that without social media, that how the top players in the country were built up through these magazines. Mm-hmm. They were almost built up as like superheroes, right? So... Here I am, this unranked guy nationally and getting put in this game. And I just remember the first practice and dropping like 32 points in the, in the, the scrimmage. And everybody was like, uh, who <laughs> is this 5'8", 150-pound dude with this nappy afro torching everybody? So I, I, that's what I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I remember is looking at the highlights. First of all, an injury that was unfortunate to a player coming out of Flint, I believe, Mateen Cleaves. You were able to start in his place and just looking at that highlight of they had to, first of all, give you his old jersey and then just like tape his name off of it. Talk about that game itself because I'm not mistaken, you were the MVP, correct? Yeah, I was MVP of that game. MVP of the game. Walk us through that game right there, man. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, just just to add some perspective to it, to your listeners, it was basically the top 19 high school players in the country and and me. So it was 19 plus one. 
so in that game, there was obviously Kobe Bryant, who was the number one player in the country. Tim Thomas, who was the number number two player in the country. Winfrey Walton, who was the number three player in the country. Rip Hamilton, Lester Earl, Jamal McGlure, Lauren Woods, Jason Hart, Shaheen Holloway. Like, these were the top of the top high school players in the country. They gave me a uniform at the last second. The uniform was too big for me. The shoes were too big for me. And they were like, hey, we're going to tape it up. Your name's not going to be on it, but we're going to put you in a starting lineup because you've been the best player in the scrimmages the last couple of practices. So the coach started me. And from then on, I, I just went out there in front of everybody and, and led my team to a win. And I, I received the MVP in the game as well. So it's, I mean, something that looks like you, I mean, you couldn't script this any better. You know, this just seems straight out of a Disney movie, but it actually <laughs> happened. It actually happened. And all of this took place at the Palace of Auburn Hills, former home of the Detroit Pistons. How dope of a feeling was that for you to play in our hometown team? Mm-hmm. Pistons at the time, they had two championships. Yeah. Could you describe that feeling for me? Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, anytime you when you walk into these professional venues, you, you it takes, it, for me, it took me back to a kid visualizing and dreaming of one day being able to play on that type of stage. Mm-hmm. So when it became a reality, I was in awe of the moment, but I wasn't caught up in the moment, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, it's time for me to perform. I always wanted to play on the NBA court. I wanted to show people that I belong, and um, I think I did. I mean, MVP, they don't even give you the right size shoes or jerseys. I mean, shit, that's uh, <laughs> very impressive if you ask me. I didn't know that they didn't give you the right size shoes, man. Like Shoes was too big. I wear, I wear a 10 and a half. The shoes I played in was 11 and a half, so they were the oh, size bigger. So that's why my shoes looked so big in the, in the, in the highlight. My shoes look like boots, <laughs> but I put I had like three pair of socks on and I just went to work, man. I'm from, you know, we from Detroit, man. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't going to make no excuse. It was what it was going to be. And I wanted to, I wanted to show the country, look, man, if these guys are the 19 best players in the country, then you might, you may want to add me on that list as well. Yeah. yeah. No, I probably should have asked you this question before, but who did you model your game after? If you don't mind me asking Man, that's a great question. Man, I, I was able to imitate a lot of players. It wasn't one player that I modeled the game after. Michael Jordan was the foundation of my game mm-hmm. just because I love to score the ball and Michael Jordan was a great scorer. I love Jordan's tenacity, the way he approached the game. So that was kind of the foundation of my game. But I studied Chris Jackson a lot at LSU. Mm. I studied Isaiah Thomas. I love Glenn Robinson at Purdue mm. and obviously Allen Iverson. So I had a I had a mix of all those type of players. I had a little bit of Isaiah Thomas, a little bit of Allen Iverson, a little bit of Michael Jordan, a little bit of Chris Jackson. I just kind of like mixed it up depending on the competition. So if you look at my highlights or look at my film, you will see a little bit of Allen Iverson. You'll see a little bit of Jordan. You, you'll see all those I mean, it may sound strange to the people that's listening, like, man, you can't be all those players in one. But if you look at 
you go back and look at my stats and you go back and look at a lot of my highlights, you will see a lot of that stuff. You may see some Steph Curry, current guys now, you may see a lot of Steph Curry, a lot of Trey Young in my game today. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, that's dope. Those are some dope comparisons. I'm going to have to pay more close attention because, of course, when I saw you play, the first person I thought of, and you probably have heard this before, is Allen Iverson. Just the number and then just the handles and yeah. the the drive and stuff like that. But I have to look back at some of those other players. Was Glenn Big Dog Robinson was a man. One of my favorite players. He was a beast, man. Menace. He was a menace. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was, man. He was. And I, I have to, I'm going to definitely make sure I go back and look at some of his stuff and compare it to yours. Mm-hmm. Now, you. Get the MVP, Magic Round Ball Classic. You go to the University of Detroit Mercy, but there's a backstory to that. What led you to the University of Detroit Mercy? And then also as a follow-up question, what were your first impressions of his basketball program? Yeah, it was it was it was strange how it came about because I mean I was I felt that I was a top player in the nation at the time in high school. I mean, just a lack of resources at the time. You know, the word didn't really get too far out in regards to how I was able to play. And, and I never went to the ABCD camps or any of that stuff to get ranked. I never was really, my father didn't really believe in that. He just believed in, look, if you're good, they're going to find you. So, you know, after winning Oakland County Player of the Year and uh, I got recruited by Georgia Tech, I wanted to go to Georgia Tech. I was going to be headed to Georgia Tech, but the, the thing about it was I was a non-qualifier at the time. So I was a Prop 48 so the people who don't know what a Prop 48 is, is a person who who has a lower GPA, but they pass the test score. And at the time, the conference, the ACC conference, didn't accept non-qualifiers. And I was considered a non-qualifier, which means I would have had to sit out because I was a prop. So that kind of eliminated Georgia Tech as a destination for me. UAD was always my second choice because it was my home. My dad used to take me to the games to watch the Titans as a kid. I used to love going to Callahan Hall, watching Archie Tellis and those type of guys play and and put up numbers. And I always dreamed as a kid of playing for my hometown. Like that was always in me. You know, Michigan didn't really want me. Michigan said I was too small. Michigan State had Mateen Cleese, who was a a phenomenal player himself. So UAD it was. And, you know, Looking at University of Detroit, I mean, the, the, one of the main reasons I went to UAD is because Jermaine Jackson played a huge hand in me going there. Jermaine was the top point guard in, in the city of Detroit the year previously of uh, me graduating in 95, and he went to UAD. And Jermaine was a big-time recruiter. He was a terrific athlete, and we had a friendship. And so uh, uh, Jermaine kind of recruited me to come to UAD and play with him. And a lot of people don't know that. You know, Jermaine Jackson is LaMelo Ball's uh, manager right now. So people who don't know that, but just, you know, and Jermaine was a great player. He recruited me to come to UAD and I was happy to get there. But the team just wasn't that good. You know, we didn't have names on the jerseys. We wasn't wasn't winning a lot of games, but things turned around once we we got the right guys in place with me, Jermaine, Bakari Alexander, Desmond Ferguson, Derek Hayes, Brian Alexander, Perry Robinson, we just we started to roll Walter Craft like we, we started to roll now in preparing for this interview and this is something I did not know because I thought that from the Magic Round Ball Classic you going there and being the MVP that 
you go to U of E, you just immediately start playing. But there was a setback. Could you tell us more about that setback? Yeah, it was it was a tough time for me because after playing in the Magic Ground Ball Classic, I played in two more classics after that, which I won MVP. So I won in three MVPs between April and, and July. I won three MVPs. One was the Magic Round Ball Classic. The second one was the Wendy's Classic. The third one was the Macomb Oakland County game. So I won three MVPs in that span. And then after that, I was a non-qualifier. So I had to sit out my first year at UAD, which was a, a shock as being, you know, an 18-year-old kid. First time I, I, I haven't been able to play basketball. So it, it kind of woke me up and I lost the game of basketball for an entire year. I wasn't able to practice with the team. I wasn't able to be around the team. I just had to be a student at UAD. And it was funny because as I was going to class that first year at UAD when I was sitting out, you know, people used to laugh when I would tell them, hey, I'm, I'm on the basketball team. Like, I, they didn't even know I was on the basketball team. Like, people would be like, well, why are you, who are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be on the basketball team next year. It was like, I had to actually tell people that. Mm. And there's a story where I was, I was, I was sitting in class and Professor Lynn Lewis, Dr. Lynn Lewis, my professor, and we had to introduce ourselves in the classroom. This is when I was sitting out. And they got around to me, it was like 25 students. And they got, it was, it was my turn. And she was like, stand up, sir. I stood up. She was like, you know, give us your name. I gave her my name. And, and she said, what are you here for? What do you want to do? I said, I'm here to be the greatest Titan to ever play basketball here. Mm-hmm. And the entire class laughed. This is a true story. The entire class bust out laughing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and here I am, I'm 18 years old, five foot eight, 150 pounds. So I probably would have laughed too if I was there, you know? And, you know, you speed things up four years later, it is what it is now. <laughs> it is what it is. Yep. Four years later, those same people were probably at your games and stuff. So it is what it is. <laughs> oh, they were at the games. <laughs> now, University of Detroit Mercy has a very rich history, but you had the opportunity to be coached by, if you know about Detroit basketball, this name is synonymous with greatness. And that is Coach Perry Watson. Tell us more about you being coached by that individual. Yeah. And what were some of the lessons that he passed down to you? Man, you know, being recruited by Coach Watson was, it was awesome because when you look at his history, the, the city titles, the state championship runs in, in high school at Southwestern, the success he had in college and recruiting the Fab Five and then moving over to UAD and recruiting me, like it was I mean, it, it meant a lot because Coach Watson, he believed in me, you know, where a lot of college coaches didn't at the time. And he, he, he truly believed in me and he gave me the opportunity and he gave me the stage to be able to, to be the player that, that I, I, I came to be. And the one thing that I learned about Coach Watson is that he taught me basketball structure and accountability at that age. You know, he, he was a perfectionist. He held us to a high standard and he expected us to live up to it. And I was able to exceed his own expectations he had for me. But a lot of that was a credit to the resources that he had us surrounded by at the University of Detroit. Uh, Coach Greer was great. Uh, Coach Mickey Barrett, um, Coach Jackson, and the weight training coach Jim Calvasso. And it was just a, a, a wonderful foundation that he built there at UAD. And I took full advantage of it. 
Yeah, much respect to Perry Watson. Now, 1999, you all, as in the Titans, make it to the NCAA tournament. I think you all went head up against the UCLA Bruins. I think Baron Davis is on that team, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Walk us through that experience and how the team felt after the game. It was, a, it was a phenomenal experience. Just for one, that at that particular time, a mid-major school, you know, going to the tournament was, you know, that's, I mean, that's always celebrated. As an institution, when you're, you're, you're a small fish in this big ocean and you, you're able to, you know, cause some havoc in, a, in March Madness is always <laughs> um, a monumental moment. But, you know, playing against UCLA, they were loaded, not just with Baron Davis, but they had Earl Watson. They had two, yeah. they had two NBA guards. That's right. Um, that's right. They had, uh, you know, Rush and Capono and Moiso. They they started five, all played in the NBA. Wow. That's and right. UCLA started five, all played in the NBA. And we were able to beat them. But you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't a Cinderella story for us like it was for the outsiders. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to beat UCLA. Like, we knew that going in when we drew them, we were confident enough with the players that we had that we knew that we matched up very well with them. And so after we won the game, there wasn't a huge celebration in that fashion. We celebrated, but we celebrated because we knew that we were supposed to win. It wasn't like, oh my God, we won, let's celebrate. It was like, yeah, we knew we was going to beat them. You know? <laughs> and, that, and, and that's just, a, that's, that's really... The honest truth. I'm not saying it because it's 20 years down. It's, it was 25 years ago, whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, anybody could say that. No, we actually went into this game saying that we were going to win. Mm. And you all had another tournament win. I can't remember the team, but it was like the year we before. We beat St. John's. And who was on that team? They had Felipe Lopez, Zendon Hamilton, Ron Artest. They were loaded. Mm. 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 They were loaded. We beat them too. We knew we were going to beat them as well. Mm. We did. I mean, I remember reading about that in the paper, and I'm pretty sure you all busted a lot of brackets back then. I wasn't participating in the brackets. I think I was 99. I was, what, 15 years old. I remember watching it on the news and seeing the highlights and stuff like that. I'm like, man, they really did that thing. But, yeah, again, the team, the UCLA team and St. John's team as well, I mean, that's a, just people that's synonymous with NBA excellence and NBA champions and I mean, as the, as the Detroit confidence, the Detroit swagger, you know, we got it. We win. We yeah. step in the room. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, it was like, it's nothing to it, honestly. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 2001, you complete your degree at the University of Detroit in Communication Studies. Yep. Where did life take you after that? Man, it took me everywhere. I mean, I I, I played in the, in, the, in the G League. It was a D League back then, but now it's called mm-hmm. the G League. I was the... People don't, this is a trivia question, but I was the first point guard drafted in, in the D-League ever. Wow. I played in Mobile, Alabama for my first year under Coach Sam Vincent. Had a wonderful time there in Mobile. And then I went on to play eight years overseas. I played in Italy. I played in France. I played in Turkey, Australia, Saudi Arabia, Poland, Latvia, Greece. Like, I played all over the world. And uh, it was, you know, it was... It was one heck of a journey. I can say that it was just, it was one hell of a journey. And um, I retired early. I retired at 30 after winning the MVP in Saudi Arabia. I just was, it was time for me to kind of move on and 
And um, I had a, I had a great time though. I had a great time. It taught me a lot of lessons. So as a follow up to that, what was that experience like playing professionally across the world? And what did you learn about yourself both as an athlete and also as a black man from Detroit? I learned that, um, you know, being isolated with your own thoughts is a good thing. I was able to just kind of script out my post playing career because I had so much downtime overseas. You know, I knew I had to fend for myself, but, you know, coming from Detroit, I was already equipped to hold my own. But that isolation time that I had overseas, I was able to just compile all of my thoughts and kind of script out where I wanted to be. And right now, today, I'm kind of right on schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just the countries and the places you've named, I mean, not many people have the opportunity to travel outside of their state, much less the country and even the world. And hearing you talk about this, I mean, you really have had a, a great experience in coupling all of that knowledge that you've been able to gain and you've been able to selflessly give it to other people. I mean, that is, yeah. that's great, man. That's great. Now, I know that you had aspirations to go to the league and I know you'll tell your story on a, another platform. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do want to get to is 96. You met the late, great Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant, yeah. whom referred to you as the best player that was never drafted. What did those words mean to you? And if you feel comfortable answering, what is your fondest memory of Kobe? Yeah, um, man, I met Kobe in 96, man, and and when I met him, you know, obviously prior to meeting him, I knew all about him. He was the number one player in the country. And he was welcoming to me. You know, he was a like he was he was a friend. He was a person I can call a friend. He took me in, he befriended me. And even when he went to the Lakers, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but when Kobe went to the Lakers, he gave me his phone number. And was like, man, you know, because we didn't we didn't have cell phones and all that like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that, you know. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't popular like that. And it was like uh, I would call him, we would talk on the phone. You know, he was living with his sisters at the time, I believe. Mm -hmm. His sisters would answer the phone all the time when I called. And we just, you know, we developed a friendship over time. And you know, him saying that, you know, me being the best player that's never been drafted, like it was just. It was a validation for me and it meant everything because, you know, when you're five, nine, you know, 170 pounds and you're playing a game that's made for giants and you get validated by one of the greatest players to ever play. It was just, you know, that was kind of my me never playing in the NBA. But with Kobe saying that lets me know that I was supposed to be in the NBA, if that makes any sense. So that's kind of it, that. That quote from him kind of helped me. It helped ease the pain of me not playing in the NBA because I, I got the respect from him. So, but my fondest memory of him, I have tons, but I just remember talking to him after one of the games and him telling me like, I was kind of, I was kind of going through a, a, a tough time in my life and he left me tickets to the game. I think this was in like, man, this was like, oh, 07, 06 or something. I can't remember what year it was, but I took the picture with him and I was just kind of struggling and down. Overseas wasn't going right for me. I just couldn't, you know, just couldn't find my, my footing. And after the game, he looked at me and he was like, you going to be all right, bro. He was like, you straight. He was like, you going to figure everything out, you know, and he kind of gave me that and we hugged and we laughed and talked and we took a picture. 
But just that confidence that he kind of instilled in me, he saw that I was hurting at the time. But as a friend, he told me, sometimes as a friend, you just need to tell your friend everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And hearing that from Kobe Bryant, it kind of kind of just stuck with me. And, and, it, and I still hold that story with me. And I miss him. I think about him all day, every day. And I just, just truly miss him. And I still just hear his voice in my head. Anytime I get down, I just kind of hear him, you know, telling me, hey, Shy, you good. Just keep keep going forward. You know, that's kind of my story about Kobe Bryant. Man, bro, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I do want to take it back just a little bit. And you mentioned your brand, 2,319. You spoke about the significance of that number and how you've been able to, like, utilize it to amplify the voices of the unheard, in my estimation. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean to you to, like, have that platform for you to do the things that you're doing with that? Man, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, when you when you start something, I always tell people, make sure you make sure you can you start something from the heart and make sure you can connect with it personally. And just through my journey, I've always been that that player, that person that didn't have a voice, that didn't have an advocate. I just kind of just kind of claw my way through life, you know, with nobody really amplifying it for me. And I just I have a soft spot for people, for kids, for athletes that are deserving of praise, but you don't see them get it. So I wanted to create a platform where I could identify the, the, the athlete, the kid, the person that was deserving of it, but wasn't nobody else was talking about it. And so I've been able to do that. And it's, you know, it's fulfilling for me to, to watch somebody get that attention that, that deserves it. So that's kind of the, the, the root of what sports talk 2319. It's been built on that. Mm. And of course, you mentioned those numbers represent you as the all-time leading scorer at the University of Detroit Mercy. I like how you're able to blend those together, and I'm loving what you're doing, man. Appreciate um, it. We are heading into the final stretch, and again, Rashad, this has been a bucket list item for me, so thank you for coming on here. Well, now, I do want to take it back to Detroit for a second, and everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I ask them this following question. If they had to identify a song that best represents Detroit in their opinion, what would that song be? Hopefully I gave you enough time to process that because <laughs> some people, they're like, man, why don't you give me that question sooner? So you're a point guard, man. Y'all got to think on y'all feet. Hopefully you can think on your feet with this one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if you can, bro, give me yeah. a song. My song is Big Hurt, Gangsters Only. Mm. Every time I hear Hurt, for that first verse come on with Big Hurt and Jay Nutty, I'd be mm. like, that's Detroit, you know? Like, <laughs> hey, that's my Big Hurt Gangsters Only YouTube it, if, 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 if your listeners haven't heard it. Okay. That's my Detroit song. Okay, bet it up, bet it up. Yeah, Hurt had the game on lock for, for a long Ooh. time when I was in high school in the 2000s, man. He... Yeah, Herc had it on lock, bro. Herc, you know, and I, I, I mean, I love the new artists now. You got, you know, T Grizzly and Sada Baby. You know, you got all them, but hey, Herc was the guy when I was back then, so. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, you also got another Detroit hip-hop connection. Ryan yeah. Montgomery, a.k.a. Yeah. Royce 5'9". 
Yep. I didn't know that y'all played high school basketball. He went to, was it Oak Park? He went to Oak Park. I went yeah. to Princeton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw y'all on the gram chopping it up and saw your little video. But, man, what was it like playing with Royce, man? I mean, is he, was he as nice on the court as he is on the mic, man? Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, because, I mean, I you know, Royce is, in my in my opinion, I think Royce is a top five artist ever. Like, mm-hmm. as far as hip-hop, you know, like, his writing skills, his creativity, all that, like, all of that, like, man, he, he continues to put out great albums. I don't, like, I love, I mean, The Book of Ryan is probably my favorite album he's put out, but he got mm-hmm. so many albums. Man, look, Royce was talented when we were kids. Like, uh-huh. dude could shoot it. He could dribble. He was quick. And I ended up getting, being able to, you know, when I started my training business before I went into the media, like I used to train his, his younger son. Mm-hmm. His son was talented, just like his dad. Like, could run, could shoot, was quick, you know. So it was funny training baby Roycey, you know, because it's like I grew up with his dad. So, but not Royce. Royce is a is, is a, a true friend of mine. That's my dude. We talk often. His, his, his brother Vicious is my dude as well. Like I'm just really tight with the Montgomery family, man. And uh, those are my people. Yeah, man. Royce, kind of similar to yourself. I saw Royce perform. This was like maybe 1999. They had the Hip Hop Summit. It was downtown in Wayne State. He was one of the headliner and performers. And this is when he had just got off of the bad meets evil because I think the Slim Shady LP yeah. had just come out. Yeah. He performed. Royce always been that dude, man. One of my favorite always. MCs as well, man. Always. And that, it was, when you asked me to pick a Detroit song, it was just too easy to say Royce. <laughs> That's why I had to go to Big Hurt. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Roy, Royce is obviously, I mean, when I, when I, my top five artists, man, I was like, I got like, you know, Big and Tupac and Royce. Like, it's, he's in that echelon. Yeah, I got Royce in that class. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Royce, man. Shout out to Royce. You mentioned all the things that you're working on with 2319. What else are you working on? What's on the horizon for Rashad Phillips? And how can we support you as a community, bro? Yeah, man, I I got a lot of stuff on the table, man. Right now, I just I got a new show with my partner, me and Kendrick Perkins called Mm -hmm. No Agenda. We're doing that. There's some other things in the work. I got my... My website coming out soon. My NBA draft site will be out in a couple of days. So I'm just, hey, I'm just, I'm enjoying life. I'm, I'm enjoying the creativity, man. I'm just a person who loves freedom to create and share with the world. I'm, I'm a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm a peacemaker. I'm a rebel. I'm an educator. I'm a father. I'm a soldier of God. I'm a voice of the unheard. I mean, I guess all the lessons I've learned and the channels I've went through in my life is why I'm all of those things, man. So I'm just enjoying every aspect of it. Yeah, man. I mean, you and your platform, I have to say, well, before I say, make my comment, you are one of the few public figures that actively, and I mean actively with a capital A, interacts with people on social media. You can send a tweet and then shot or respond like i've sent tweets to many people not to say that i'm like trying to do it for validation but you just you know people send yeah. stuff on twitter like yeah. damn man that was a good ass question why'd you respond to my shit but <laughs> right, right right i try to i, I try to i try to interact with people because that's what that's what social media is for like i don't yeah, yeah. i don't i don't like when people have a, a social media account but don't want to talk to you mm-hmm. like if you if, if i find if i have the time 
and and if, and if I feel like it's it's in a respectful manner, I have no problem exchanging dialogue with people because that's what social media is for is to exchange dialogue and, and talk. So that's why I try. I can't respond to everybody, but I try to to respond to as many people as I can when I have the time. Yeah, and I was gonna say, man, like the what you and Perk are doing, the no agendas. I mean, I've tuned into many episodes but the thing that i'm most proud of that you're doing and i know that you're going to be launching the website soon is just draft prospects because mainly because the pistons they aren't great right now so i've been looking at who we gonna draft they need all the help they can get i'm a diehard piston fan but you were the one that like really put me up on old dude from Dayton. topic yeah yes and i when you said that i was like okay I looked at all of his stuff. I looked at yeah. all of everything on YouTube. I started binging. I'm like, okay, I can see him fitting into the team this way. By no means am I a general manager or a scout, but right. the fact is you have that platform and hopefully that elevates you where somebody need to hire my dude right here to be in his front office because, yeah, you, you put a lot of knowledge out there, but I like what you're doing and the new website, of course, um, will be launching soon. I spoke about you on social media, but where can people find you in the social media space? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, RP3Natural. You can find me on uh, Instagram, uh, Rashad Phillips 2319. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. We'll make sure once that website launches that people have the opportunity to go there. Yeah. Yeah, and again, man, thank you. Last question I want to ask you before we wrap up, and that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? It's the home of the brave. Detroit is the home of the brave? The home of the Braves. All right. The Yoda said it. I endorse it. Rashad Phillips, thank you so much for coming on here, bro. On a personal level, I've said this many times, but when looking at you, you take me back to when I was a teenager, watching mm -hmm. stuff either at Callahan Hall, reading about it in the newspaper. Your first name is the middle name of my brother, so that has a mm -hmm. personal meaning to me yeah. as well but you really have represented Detroit to Thank the fullest. You. you really have carried yourself with such class. I'm very proud of who you are. You're not as older than me, but still I respect you as an OG and as somebody that's paved the way for people like myself to put out their platform and elevate, amplify the voices of the unheard. So. Thank you. Bro, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, man. Many blessings, much success to you. The social isolation, man, it's got us trying to be productive, but, you know, know. still keeping the train moving, man. Thank you for putting out great content, bro. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate everything, man. Thanks for having me on your wonderful platform. Oh, uh, man, I appreciate you, bro. So, on behalf of Rashad Phillips, I'm Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we'll holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Talk soon. Mm -hmm.